Thank you for joining us for today's message. We're always encouraged to know how God is using this ministry to change lives. If you have a story to share about how God is working in your life, please let us know by sending us an email to amen at imtheexchange.com. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so online at imtheexchange.com. Doing this will help us to bless others and bring messages to you each week. Today's message is from our lead pastor, Pastor Jared Brooks. Please take a moment and prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. Are you excited for Christmas? Say amen. amen. If you're excited for Christmas to be over, don't say anything because let me enjoy this moment. Uh, I'm pumped about Christmas. Oh, it's Christmas is just a great time to stop and reflect and remember. Amen. And so we've been in a series. Uh, if you haven't checked in already, go ahead and you can check in. Every time you check in to Exchange Church, it helps us uh, do uh, missions. And so you can check in on that. But listen, um, we're, in, we're closing out the end of a series. And, and I started this strategically to end right about this moment. Uh, and the series is entitled, It's All Good. Everybody say, It's All Good. It's all good, and it's all great. And what's great? The message of Christ, the story of Christ, the reason that we're celebrating Christmas in the first place, it is all good. It's all good news. There's a book that was written, and I've read parts of this. It's a long book. It's a great book. But it was written. Somebody's calling me. They always do that on Sunday morning. Uh, it's, it's a great book, but it was written by a pastor. It's actually an ex-pastor who became an atheist. And I don't know about you, but I am fascinated with deconversion stories. I love hearing people's stories. I want to know why people stop believing what they believed. And this guy, he wrote this book, and he, in this story, he tells uh, that he was in ministry. It's really sad, and it's fascinating, and it's philosophical. It's his story. And he tells the story of how he was in ministry. While he was in ministry, he slowly started to lose his faith. He slowly started to stop believing in the Bible. And slowly he stopped believing in God altogether. And, and he tells this story, and it's really interesting. And, uh, but he tells the story, and the biggest dilemma that he faced was sitting down and talking to his family about it. Okay, so just imagine those, those of you who kind of been in church for a while or kind of grew up, imagine all of a sudden going to your family and going, I just don't believe it. I just don't believe in the Bible. I don't believe in God. I don't believe he exists. That would be kind of a tough dilemma. And he, he explains that in this book and he tells the story and it's heartbreaking. He lost his marriage. You know, his wife, she believed and she wanted to believe and she ends up remarrying another pastor. He ends up remarrying. And, but the most gut-wrenching part of him telling this story is when he tells how he sat down and told his mom. Uh, he sits down and he tells his mom. And she, she doesn't take the news the way he thought. It doesn't bother her when he tells her, Mom, I'm deconverting from Christianity. I don't believe anymore. It doesn't bother her the way that he thought that it would bother her. And soon after he tells her that he's deconverting, she sits down with him and tells him, I am joining you, and I'm also leaving Christianity. I'm deconverting. I don't want anything to do with it. And in this book, he writes, and he tells 
her relief of giving up this faith and all the baggage that came with her version of Christianity. Now, that's the key that I said that. Her version of Christianity. She says this, and I quote, It's wonderful because I don't have to hate anymore. It's wonderful to be free of this religious burden because I don't have to hate anyone anymore. Wow. Does that bother you? That bothers me. It bothers me that I'm, I'm in that category. That I'm classified as that, that she would feel that way. Statistically, 65% of people who grew up in a church, not, not every church, but in a church that specifically pointed to sin and sinners and taught you to stay away from them for your salvation, for your faith. 65% of people that grew up in that type, and, and, and some, some churches even taught them to hate that lifestyle. 65% of people that grew up in that type of church no longer attend church, period. Why? Because hating is a heavy burden to bear. Right? Come on, nod your head with me. At least pretend you're kind of agreeing. Come on. Listen, it's tough to carry a burden of hate. So what is this? That's the question. What is this? A version of faith where you have to dislike a certain group of people in order to keep your wall up, to stay protected, to stay strong in your faith? A, a version of faith where you have to dislike or even hate a group of people or a version of your faith where you're constantly looking for a way out because you just don't feel right in it? None of those faiths, none of those versions of faith are good news, right? That's actually bad news. And actually, it's old news. And that's what we're going to continue to talk about. All throughout this series, we've talked about people and their resistance to Christianity, and in their resistance to Christianity, it really revolves around this one question. Is it true? People want to know, is it true? But here, more and more people have changed the question, and now there's a different question because some people believe it's true. Maybe it's true, maybe it's not. But now the question most people wrestle with is, is it even good? Okay, because think about this. Some of these people who were raised in a version of Christianity that's kind of manipulated and warped and kind of mixed the old and the new, they think this, if it causes me to hate someone, even if it's true, that's not good news. We can all agree with that, right? I mean, I know I, I, I could say some things that you go, wait, what? But we can all agree that if you're teaching me to hate someone, even if you can prove that it's true, that's not good news for all people, right? And, and it's, if it causes me to have to live my life and never be myself, that's not really good news, right? And so when we hear bad news, when we hear bad news, we immediately want to believe that it's not true, okay? So if you get a bad uh, diagnosis, uh, you go and you see a doctor and you get a bad diagnosis, immediately you want to believe what? 
That is not true, okay? If you get a bad report, if you get bad news, if you hear something bad from, from your, your principal or your kid's school or whatever, immediately you want to believe. Some of you know it's true immediately if you hear it from principals. But, but immediately you want to believe that it's bad news, right? And the opposite is true with good news. When you hear good news, you want to believe it's true. If you go to the doctor and they give you good, immediately you want to believe. You want to stake your claim in that because you want to believe good news. You want to believe good news about your health and about your finances and about your kids. You immediately hope that it's true. So the question that, we're, that we've been talking about that we're going to land on today is if the message of Jesus is that good, if it is that great, then why don't people, why doesn't everyone hope that it's true, right? Have you thought, I mean, at church, we just get so used to playing the church game that we kind of forget what people outside might think. But don't you think that if the message, if Jesus's message is that good, why in the world would anyone reject it? It just doesn't make sense. Why are there versions of faith that are so ungood that people are actually looking for ways to get out of it? I mean, think of how many people you talk to who say, yeah, I used to go to church, or I used to be a believer, I used to, then why in the world, if it's so good, would you ever get out of that? Because when Jesus' birth was announced, and we talked about this week one, and it's kind of the center point of this whole series, when Jesus' birth was announced, they could have said anything they want, they could have used any words that they want, but the angel uses the word, these words, and it was breaking headline news. The angel said, good news. It is good news. And then this is the terminology the angel uses of great joy. But it's not good news of great joy just for you in this area or you in this area. It is good news of great joy for who? Come on, somebody say, all people. Okay, this was good news of great joy for all people. No one could even imagine this because it didn't make sense because generally good news for one group of people means bad news for another group of people. Amen? Okay, that's kind of the way our world works. Good news for you is not necessarily good news for us. In fact, the news was so good <coughs> that they called it the gospel. And the gospel means the good story. So they couldn't even think of what to call it. So they said, well, let's just call it what it is. Let's call it the gospel. Let's call it the good story. Why? Because it is a great story. Let's just call it that. But again, if it supposedly is really that good of a story, then why the resistance? Why would anybody resist this? Why would anybody look for a way out? Why wouldn't people who don't believe it's true wish that it was true? And if, if we were to, you know, we had, if we had people here today that say, you know, I'm not really a church person, I'm not really a believer, blah, 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 blah. And we pulled them up here on stage and we began to talk to them and interview them. If I shared with them what the good news actually was, 99.9% .9 of them would want to believe that it's true. It's human nature. Wow, man, that's just 
Hard to believe, Pastor. I just, that's hard to believe that it's true. But listen, imagine, imagine, imagine for just a moment. Imagine if it were true. Because when you hear good news, you want it to be true. You don't resist it. You hope it's true. And the original version of the gospel was so good that it was compelling. And it was so compelling that it was worth telling. And we know that it was worth telling because Luke writes about that. Luke says in his document, in his gospel of Luke, he says that many, many people have undertaken to write up an account of the life of Jesus. And they didn't get paid for it. We talked about this weeks ago that, one, it was expensive to write. It was not many people wrote, but many people started writing about this nobody, this nobody carpenter who, who did nothing. He wasn't wealthy. He wasn't rich. He was just a nobody from Nazareth. All of a sudden, everybody's wanting to write up an account and document the life of Jesus. There's no parallel like it in ancient history. Because something happened. Something happened in history that they had to preserve, that they had to document. And it was for every generation. It was for every nation. So the question, again, that we want to wrestle with is this. What happened? What happened to the good news? If the good news was that good, then what happened? Have you thought about that? Why isn't everyone leaning into it? Why doesn't everyone want it to be true? And I'm not trying to point my finger this morning, but I'm going to be honest. I am absolutely pointing my finger this morning. Maybe we happen. Maybe the church happened. Think about it. The church has done a great job of Americanizing the good news. Now, Maybe we didn't mean to. Maybe we couldn't really help it. But we have Americanized the good news. And, and we've certainly politicized the good news. And, and I don't know if this is a word, but we have prosperitized the good news. And we have anti-intellectualized the good news. And we have internalized the good news. And by internalized the good news, I mean that we've reduced it to something that you just believe rather than something that we actually do. And in a lot of people's cases, we've reduced it to fire insurance. That's what the good news has become. Because I don't expect you to be honest today, but I'm going to be honest with you. When I was six years old and I prayed a prayer, I'm not 100% sure it was because I was madly in love with Jesus. I'm pretty sure that the way it was presented to me, I was pretty confident of something that was going to happen to me on the other side of life that I didn't want to happen to me. And so I prayed a prayer and it was driven out of fear. It wasn't because I was madly in love. I, you know, I was six. I prayed a prayer because I was really, and it became fear-driven, and I lived my life driven by that. Do y'all remember those movies? And I know we've talked about it off and on for years and years, but there were movies that we watched when I was a kid. They would play them on Wednesday nights sometimes to the congregation and do teachings, but they were called, you can actually go still rent them and look them up now. It was called Image of the Beast, A Distant Thunder, Prodigal Planet, and I think there's four, but I don't remember. They were scary. They, I'm telling you, they scared the literal hell out of me because they were so scary. I remember watching the guillotine chop heads off and people having to get the mark of the beat and running. I mean, it was scary. I prayed a prayer. 
And, and, it, and I got a fire insurance certificate for that prayer that I prayed. And really, that's kind of what my relationship at that point amounted to. That's what Christianity became. It was a lot, a lot of fear, and it was, I knew that it was going to do some good things for me. But when you read the gospel, when you read the good news, when you read the accounts of the life of Jesus, it is not primarily about what happens to you after you die. It is not primarily about what you believe, but it is primarily about how you live your life now and how you treat other people now. This is what Jesus taught us. And when it gets reduced to what's in it for me, in spite of how it might affect you, that's not good news. It's not good news of great joy for all nations or for all people. That's what we call pick and choose news. Okay? Y'all know a lot of people who do that. Y'all know a lot of churches who do that. And, and you've known me as a pastor. I've done that. You pick and choose what fits you and what is appropriate for you and what fits your lifestyle and your beliefs and, and your own personal convictions and you choose, you pick and choose what's best for you and your family and you pick and choose what would benefit you the most. But when we do that in the moment that I do that, in the moment that I preach like that, in that moment, it's no longer good news of great joy for all people. And the angel told us at the announcement of Jesus' birth that it, this Jesus thing was good news of great joy for all people. But when we pick and choose news, it's not necessarily good for all people. And I'm going to give you an example. Now, I admit, I admit from the very beginning, this is an extreme example. But it's an example nevertheless, and I'm going to give it to you. Have you ever heard of the slave Bible? Okay? Me neither until just pretty recently. There was a Bible. This is an actual Bible. It wasn't like a one-off or whatever. It was actually published and put into circulation. It was published in 1807, and it was published by the Society for the Conversion of Slaves in the British West Indies. So in London, there was an actual publisher who published a slave Bible, and they used it for three things. Number one, they used it to teach slaves how to read. Number two, they used it to uh, teach slaves the ways of Christianity. And number three, to convert slaves to Christianity. But there's a problem. There was a problem. They had to remove everything in the Bible that undermined the legitimacy of slavery. So they took out the entire Exodus story. In fact, they took out almost everything that had anything to do with the Hebrew people traveling and, and migrating into the promised land and throwing off captivity. They took that whole story out. In fact, they took so much out that the Bible went from about 1,100 chapters down to 300 chapters in the slave Bible. They took out this verse. Paul, the Apostle Paul writes in Galatians 3.28. They took this verse out. This is really important. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female. For you all, for you all are one in Christ Jesus. They had to take that out <laughs> because... The slave Bible was good news for slave owners, but it was bad news for slaves. The point being this, 
if my ver if your version of Christianity, if my version of Christianity, if my version of uh, uh, of faith. Listen, now I'm not above this. I'm, I'm telling you, I'm, I'm right here with you. If my version of the good news or your version of the good news is not good news for the Jew and the Gentile, if your version of good news is not good news for the sinner and the saint, for the slave and the free, for male and female, for your ex-husband or your ex-wife, for your crazy cousin, for your dumb uncle, if it's not good news for your annoying neighbor, if it's not good news for your terrible, terrible boss, if it's not good news for all people, then it is not the original news of the gospel. I need everybody, whether you agree or not, just say one amen right here, okay? It, if, you're, if your version of good news is not good news for all people, then it's not original. It's fabricated, Americanized, messed up, jacked up crap. I, I didn't mean to say that out loud. I was looking for a more religious, sophisticated word, but it just came out. Listen, it's not good news if it's not good news for all people. Because the angel told us when Jesus was coming, it was good news, great joy for Everybody. So, there's this huge transition. The Apostle Paul, he's, he's actually a person, a real live person. I know it's hard to believe, but he was a real live person in history. Who actually lived, and he was at the epicenter of this transition. From the law and the prophets into the new kingdom that Jesus was preaching. You know, we talked about this a few weeks ago. Jesus makes a statement. He says, listen, the law and the prophets was preached up until John, talking about John the Baptist. And he says, but I've come to preach the kingdom, the gospel, the kingdom of the good news. So, so Paul is right there living in the middle of this transition. He was a huge part of the transition. You got to remember Paul, when we first meet Paul, he's a Pharisee, okay, he knew the old law and the prophets. He knew it backwards and forwards. He could quote it. And, and Paul, he becomes a Jesus follower. But here's what he's saying in this verse. He's saying, you've never met anyone. You've ne never met anyone for whom the gospel was not good news. Okay? Because he says in that verse that they took out of the slave Bible, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So he's saying there's not anyone that you've ever met for whom this good news is not actually good news. It's good news for everyone. So now the question is, what about me? What about you? Ask yourself this, am I good news not is it good am I good news am I good news am I good news of great joy for all people or am I good news of great joy for people like me right am I good news to people who agree with me am I good news to people who think like me and who act like me and who do things like me or am I am I actually good news to everyone that I meet, do people see me and go, wow, man, that's, that's great news. 
Because had we gotten this right from the very beginning of time, think about this. I believe wholeheartedly if we, we would have become the good news, honestly, our communities, our government, our world would have literally changed, okay? Pardon my grammar, but we would have been gooder. It would have been a better place to live, right? Had we become the good news. I mean, I read this verse, and I know probably you think, Pastor Jared, you're just preaching this verse over and over. But listen, this is fundamental, and it was at the epicenter of this whole transition from the law and the prophets into the law of the kingdom. And we just sang this song all ago, and I, I wrote it down because I thought, man, this is a Christmas song that we have, most all of us have sung our whole entire life. But do you even listen to the lyrics? That's what I was asking myself all ago, not you. But you're singing this song, the last song we sing. It's a famous Christmas song. And we sang this. Surely he taught us to love one another. His law is love and his gospel. Do you get it? It's all good. It's all good. The point of this season, the point of this series is it's all good. Now, do you remember Jesus? Jesus, he characterizes people who follow him. He, he has this, this identity for people who follow him, and this is how he characterizes them. Does he characterize them with correct belief? No. No. He says, listen, by this, all men, all women, everyone that you meet will know that you follow me. They will know that you're mine by how you treat, how you love other people. Everyone you come in contact with, they'll know that you're mine. They'll know that you're a Jesus follower by how you treat and love other people. This is how he characterized that. That, that, my friends, right there, that is good news. That is really good news of great joy, and that is for all people. That's good news. Every single generation, every generation of Jesus followers, listen, I'm talking to you now. Every generation of Jesus, Jesus followers are responsible to ensure that our news is the original news and that the original news was actually good news. Jesus could not have been more clear. How do we miss that? I know how we miss it, but I'm going to ask the question anyway. How do we miss that? Jesus couldn't have been any clearer. One day he's preaching to the people. <laughs> They're all gathered around with him, and he's preaching. He's standing up, and he's preaching. And he says, you. And he's talking to you. He's talking to you, and you, and you is me, and me is you. He says, you. You are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. Not just Judea, not just Samaria, not just Galilee. You are the light of the world. Now, the people that are gathered there, their whole world wasn't that big you know they probably went 25 miles in any direction that was the size of the world and he's telling them you are the light of the whole world and they're thinking we're not the light of the whole world we don't ever go anywhere I mean, we stay right here we can't travel like like you would think and so how can we be and he says listen 
I mean anyone, anytime, this message is for everyone that will ever hear this. You are the light of the world. Everyone who chooses to follow me, you need to understand wherever you're at, when you make a decision to follow me, you now are the light of the whole world. This message is for the whole world. And, it's, and when it's understood properly, this message is perceived as light. Like the lights came on all of a sudden. All, all of a sudden, I, I understand things. All of a sudden, I see myself when I get the message of the good news. I see myself in a way that I've never seen myself before. When I get the message of the good news, I see people in a way I've never seen them before. In a way I've never thought about. I, when I get this message, I see my enemies in a way that I've never seen them before. In a way that I've never imagined them before. I see my responsibilities different. He says in Matthew 5 verse 14, he says, you are the light of the world. And then he goes on in verse 16, he says, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. This comes from the good news. I looked up a while ago, sitting at my seat, because Siri and Google are great things. So I just looked up, what are good deeds? And this is what it says. A good deed is an action that one takes that is purely for the benefit of the receiving party in which you expect no compensation, no recognition, or no thanks. You do it for the sake of being a helpful part of the human ecosystem. That's what good deeds are. Jesus says this, Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father In heaven, this comes from the good news, and it's a result of what you do, not just what you believe. It's what you do, not just what you believe. I did a message several months back, do versus believe, because we put all of our stock in belief. Jesus is saying, I need you to do something. I'm tired of groups of people sitting in these buildings called churches, believing a lot of different stuff, but nobody actually ever doing anything about it. So do something that they may see your good deeds, that they may see what? The things that you do for other people, not expecting anything in return. You just do it because you are a good part. You're part of humanity. You're doing something great for other people because let your light shine. You may be the only light that people around you ever see. You may be the only light that people ever get, the only light that magnifies, and that magnifies means to glorify, that magnifies who God really is. In other words, my responsibility and your responsibility is to personify the good news. Think about it, and that's what the, today's message is all about today, is that you are to be So for two weeks, we've talked about what this good news, it's all good, it's all good. But we are actually called to be that good news. So back to the Apostle Paul. Initially, when the Apostle Paul hears 
the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, he, he did not think it was good news. Okay? And the reason that he didn't think it was good news is because he received a version of the good news that didn't make sense. I think that's where a lot of people are today in, in their faith and in, in their previous walk as a Christian or as a believer. They didn't actually receive the, the good news. They received a version of the good news. And Paul, he received a version of the good news. And uh, he didn't understand that it was good news. He got a version. He was a Pharisee. His future and his finances, his popularity and everything about him was tied up to the old way, to the old system, to the old way of thinking. It was tied up in the law and the prophets. And listen, this is something that you should understand. People who benefit most People who benefit most from an old view or benefit most from the status quo, they have the hardest time letting that go. Right? That's where Paul's at. Everything about Paul is bound up in the old way. And so what Paul does is he goes and he gets himself basically deputized. Okay? So he goes and he swears in as someone who is going to stop this madness, this way. Okay? In fact, he was going to stop and put an end to the Nazarene sect. And that's what they called it because Jesus was from Nazareth. So Paul's going to stop the Nazarene sect. He's going to stop this way, this movement that they were calling the way. He was going to take it and put it out of business. And so he began to torture and he began <coughs> to just murder and kill and do all kinds of nasty things. And then all of a sudden, he runs headfirst right into the buzzsaw that is called grace and mercy. And in that moment, what happens is he understands for the first time what the good news actually is. He understands the real news. And this is the untold part of his story. Right then... At that moment, when he understands the good news, think about this. Paul lays down all of his violence. He lays down his coercive, fear-driven ways. And he continues to be an activist, because that's what he was in the first place. He continues to be an apostle, and he continues to be a missionary. But the only thing that's changed is he's got a different message. He's got a different message. He's seen the good news for the first time in a real way. And he says in one of his letters, Paul writes this. He says, the only thing that really matters, and this is amazing, the only thing that really matters is faith working itself out through love. What? Now, when you read that, we just read it like the Bible or whatever. You can't read it that way. You got to think, Paul was a nasty person. He was a violent, nasty, angry person who went around and he did some pretty violent nasty things and all of a sudden this guy says the most important thing is working your faith out through love wait this is the guy who used to arrest and torture people i i don't understand this i don't understand how how this has changed I didn't understand, but Paul finally got it that it was good news for all nations, for all generations. In fact, Paul believed it so much that he gave his life to clarify to the Gentile people that this was good news for you too. 
He gave his life for you. That's what I'm trying to say this morning, okay? Paul gave his life to convince you that we're included in that, that this is good news for all people. And so he writes in his letters, and, and there's a portion from his letter I want to read to the church of Philippi in Greece. And I've read this before, and if you've grown up in church, you've heard this, but just for a moment, I, 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 what if, what if, this characterized every single Christian in our community? What if this characterized every single person? What if it characterized every Christian father? What if it characterized your father? What if it characterized your mother? What if it characterized every student, every Christian student that's in high school or college? What if our lives were characterized and personified by the good news? So the Apostle Paul, he teaches over and over and over He takes Jesus' message when Jesus says, you are the light of the world, and Paul kind of pulls it out a little bit, so in a way that we can understand it, and he writes to first century Christians, he writes to me, and he writes to you, and here's what he says, therefore, okay, so Jesus is talking about you are the light of the world and all that, and Paul's been talking about that, he says, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ. Now now that you're, this is what he's saying, now that you are in Christ, now that you understand what Christ has done for you, now that you understand that Christ has given you a brand new covenant, a brand new understanding, now that you've entered into the new kingdom that's forever, he says, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, And if any tenderness and compassion, in other words, if there's anything about following Jesus that has come your way that is good, if you've benefited from the good news from following Jesus, he says, then look at me and do me a favor. Then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in the spirit and one in mind. Paul says, look, if you've gotten anything, now that, now that you've come to know Christ, now that you've seen what Christ has done for you, if it's done anything good for you, and he's talking to a group of people that they've seen some pretty awesome things. If it's done anything good for you, do me a favor. You'll make me so happy if you'll do the same thing he did. The same love that he had. If you'll be like-minded, think about people the way he thought about people. Because Paul, Paul's heard some stories. He says, when, when people look at your <coughs> ecclesia, your community, your church, your, your gathering, he says, I want people to see something unique about the way you treat other people. Allow all the good things that's come your way to overflow into relationships. And this isn't just something you simply believe. It isn't something you believe about the new kingdom or the new way. This is something that you do. I'm asking you to do something. I'm asking you to do like he did when it comes to loving people. Treat people the way he did. If you got anything from this Jesus message, it's good news. He says, do likewise. Do the same thing. So, what are you, okay, wait, 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 Paul, hold up, hold up, Paul. So what exactly do you mean? I mean, this is kind of flowery language here. And so Paul says, okay, all right, I'm going to tell you. 
I'm going to tell you exactly what I mean. And they're like, yeah, you tell us exactly what you mean. <laughs> Don't fluff it up. We want to know exactly what you're talking about. Paul goes, I'm going to tell you, but you might not like what I have to say, but I'm going to tell you. Oh, come on, shoot straight with us, Paul. Tell us everything because we want to know. We want to know how to live our lives so good that people recognize that the gospel is good. He says, okay, I'm going to tell you. Number one. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain content. Hmm. Wow. That would be great, wouldn't it? Wouldn't you like to work for somebody like that? Huh? Huh? That does nothing out of selfish ambition or vain. If you were hiring, wouldn't you like to hire someone like that that does nothing out of selfish ambition or vain content? Don't you want to be surrounded? Don't you wish your father had been? Or maybe don't, aren't you thankful? Maybe your father was that kind of person. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain content. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Value them above yourself. Not because, hear me, hear me. Not because they are more valuable but treat them as if they were more valuable whoa 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 paul wait a minute why i mean why should we do that paul says i'm glad you asked because god god so loved you god so valued you that he gave his only son to to give his life for you, he so valued, he put you ahead of himself, and he sent his only son to die for you, not because you are more valuable than Jesus Christ, but he treated you as if you were. Think about that. You aren't more valuable than Jesus Christ, but God treated you as if you were, and he sent the most valuable thing in his possession to die. For you. He says, now that, my friends, that's good news. That's good news. And I want you to live your, well, your lives in such a way that you do for others what Christ Jesus has already done for you. Man, that's good news. See, when you get the, that kind of news, people will look at you and they'll go, man, I'm not exactly sure what all they believe. I don't even know if I agree with everything they believe. All I know is this, is man, they are good people. They are good people. They, they treat me so different. Than, and we as Christians, we're to characterize our behavior around what Jesus said. That we love people the way that he loved people. That we treat people the way he did. That includes people like our bosses. Like our friends. Like our frenemies. Yeah, you all thought of one person right then. People you work with, and the list goes on and on and on. And he says this. He says, rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interest, but each of you look to the interest of others. He writes this to the church in Philippi. Why? Because Christ did that for you. That's the essence of the gospel. That right there is the point of the spear. I mean, that's where the whole gospel begins right there is Jesus Christ did that for you. 
The people that you think don't deserve it, he did it for them. The people you think might deserve it, he did it for them. The people you pray don't deserve it, he did it for them, for all people. And, and, and in this statement, and I don't know how we missed this, but it's not really tucked away, but it's right in the forefront, in the epicenter. He says, in your relationships with one another. So let's break that down. What do you mean in our relationships with one another? He's talking about your relationships with your husbands, with your wives, with your fiance, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, the guy at work, the woman at work, the person you love, the person you'd like to, to hang around, the person you don't want to hang around, the person you don't want to talk to, the person you don't want to get into a one-on-one conversation with, the person you don't want to seen around, be seen around with. In your relationships with one another, you ready? Paul says this, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. So in all these relationships, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Why? Because it's good. Because when you have the same mindset as Jesus, you begin to defer to those people. What does that mean? That means you begin to put them first. It's no longer about you. It's about them. And you'll do what's best for them. And you begin to put other people first because that's what Jesus did. You place yourself under their burdens rather than expecting everybody to to get under yours. You begin to defer to people. You won't power up. You actually step down. And this is unusual. That's not the way our world works. Our world doesn't defer to other people, especially people who do not deserve to be put in front of us. We'll look at some people that we like and we'll say, well, yeah, I'll defer to, to Titian because I like Titian. I'll put him first, no problem. But this person over here, no, no. This person, I know how he treats his wife. I know the things he said. I know what he does. I know what kind of person. I'm not going to put him first. You kidding me? That's not what Jesus says. It represents the value system of the kingdom that was introduced when a baby was born and proclaimed to be king. And the earth shook and King Herod was afraid of a baby. And little did he know, little did he know that he would become a footnote in the story of the birth of of the Savior of the world, and that was good news. He goes on, and he says, who? And he's talking about Jesus, and this is really amazing. And when I say this, don't don't think about me reading from the Bible. Think about me reading from a document that was written uh, by someone who knew Peter. He hung out with Peter, so he knew Peter very well. Think about this written by someone who knew James, the brother of Jesus, he hung out with him. He knew John. He was friends with John. Later, he became friends with John, not for a while, but he's friends with John. This, this is Paul, and he's writing, and he says this. He says, talking about Jesus, who, being in very nature, God. So I'm going to pause for a moment. If you were to hang out with Peter and you said, hey, Peter, tell us about your rabbi. I want you to describe your rabbi to us, this teacher. Peter would probably say something like this. Wow. I, I, I can't even begin to describe it. I mean, he was just so awesome and so cool. But the more we got to know him, the more we realized something's different. And then he would say things as if it was like God. And, and then one day we realized it, it was God. I mean, I'm friends with this guy. And he was like God in a body. Like, I hugged him and shook his hand 
I can't even explain. Or if they would have went to James, Jesus' brother, and said, James, describe Jesus. Describe growing up with Jesus. James would have said this. He was an idiot. I, I, I mean, when he was a kid, he, he would try to run to the temple, and he'd try to, every time we'd travel all the way to the temple, he would go in and try to start teaching like he was a rabbi. And I would always slap him upside the head. You're not a rabbi. You're not a teacher. And, and then when, and when he becomes older, he was going around. He had this group of, of morons that followed him, and, and he's, they're going around doing all these things, and he's telling everybody, and people are calling him rabbi. And I'm like, he's not a freaking rabbi, okay? He's not a rabbi. Oh, my Lord. Gosh, I know this kid. He's just, oh, my goodness. And they're, like, praising him and doing all this stuff. And, and then he died. And it broke my heart because I did love him. Even though he was all these things, he died. And that was tough on me. But three days later, he came out of the grave. And all of a sudden, I had flashbacks of when he was a kid in the temple. And I had flashbacks of all these conversations that he was having with people. And in that moment, I realized he is a rabbi. He's my savior. And James would probably say something like this. Guys, you want to know the hardest thing in the world? To swallow your pride and look at your own brother and go, you are the Christ. You're my Messiah. You're my Savior. That's my relationship. That's how I would describe Jesus. Because James didn't believe it until Jesus came back. And so with all of that in mind, Paul writes this, who being in very nature, God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. What? Yeah, God showed up. He showed up among mere mortals and he never once powered up. He never once played the God card. Okay, he's God, and never once did he go, hey, I'm God. He never walked into a restaurant and went like, hey, I know it's crowded in here, but I am the Christ. You know, I'd like his table. He never did that. He never used the God card. He never used his power or his influence to his own benefit. But you know what he did do? Listen, this will change your office. This will change your community. This will change your country. This will change our world. In fact, it did change the world at one time, and it can change the world again if the church will ever wake up and listen to this. This is what he did do. He leveraged his power and his influence as God for the benefit of people who had less power and less influence. He used his leverage for people who had no leverage at all. There are communities in our country, there are nations around the world that this one simple idea would liberate so many people. It would free so many people. It would increase lifespan and the lifetime and the quality of life for millions and millions and millions of people. 
If world leaders would embrace this single idea at the epicenter of our gospel, it would bring so much good and you wouldn't even be able to measure it. Is the message of Jesus good? Are you kidding me? It's better than good. God came to this earth and he leveraged his power. He leveraged his influence. He leveraged the fact that he was God and he didn't do it for his own benefit. He did it for the sake of people who had zero power, zero leverage. That's good news. That should excite you that God didn't come to embrace and lift up himself, but he leveraged it for you. There's nothing better than that. He's not done. He says, rather, he made himself nothing. Instead of powering up, he chose to make himself nothing. Nothing. He came into the first century as a nobody. And how far did he take it? Unprecedented. Still to this day, unprecedented. It's why it changed the world. It's why the world set up to pay attention. It's why this story is so amazing. There's no parallel like it. But by taking the very nature of a servant. This is what Paul writes in Philippians. By taking the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance. As a man. He humbled himself. By becoming obedient death listen he doesn't stop there this is why you'll never find anything like this in the world even death on the cross the moment that your God and my God was most most glorified would have been the moment that you and I were most horrified because do you understand what crucifixion was there was a goal to crucifixion there was a reason people crucified the goal to crucifixion was oblivion it was to wipe people off the face of the earth. It was humiliation. In fact, when they crucified people, the family and friends didn't even usually know where they were buried because that was the mission. People, family, and friends would disown the people being crucified because it was that horrible. And your Savior, my Savior, chose to live and exist in a world that would treat him horribly. And he succumbed. He he. And, he submitted himself to being crucified on a cross to punctuate his point that I have come to serve and to give my life for a ransom. I didn't come to be served. I've come to leverage my power and my influence for those that have virtually no power and no, no influence. Now, I want you to follow me, and I want you to learn from me, and I want you to figure out on your own, in your own world, in your own family, with your own finances, and your own opportunities, how to emulate that, because that's good, and that's good for the whole world. It's good for everybody in the world. It's all good. It's good news. So is Christianity good? Are you kidding me? <laughs> is there anything better? He was a king who came to reverse the order of everything. And he invited us to follow him. Imagine if the kings of this earth, if the politicians of this earth, if the global leadership of this earth embraced this one single idea. Can you imagine how much good would be released on planet earth? <laughs> you can't imagine it because it's unimaginable. 
Skipping down to verse number 12, Paul, he says, okay, look, now, you got a part to play in this, guys, so men and women, listen, I want you to continue to work out. Now, I love this idea. I want you to continue to allow God to squeeze out of you everything associated with your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his what? His good purpose. What's his good purpose? God has invited you to call him father. He sent his son to ultimately pay the ultimate price. And he invites, he invites us to follow him as he sets up this brand new world order. Not, as a, not a world that we've ever seen before, but a kingdom of conscience, a kingdom of the heart, a kingdom of the heart that is synced with the heart of God. This is an invitation and it is good. It's all good. That changes everything. It changes humanity from the inside out. And when we do that, good things happen around us. The perversion of the gospel, it says, no, 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 good things, they don't happen to us. Paul would write and say, no, good things happen all around us. But when we embrace the perversion of the gospel about us, we are no longer good news. And he wraps it up with this. He says, look, do everything. Do everything without grumbling or complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless. So let me ask you this as I wrap up here. What does it mean to become blameless? Okay? Let me tell you, to become blameless is someone that you cannot blame, right? Pretty. I'm getting really deep and... and I know this is tough for some of you to follow here, but someone who's blameless is someone that you can't blame, okay? And, and so what he's saying here is become a blameless person because you know what blameless people do? They apologize immediately. Dun, dun, dun. Before somebody can actually blame them, they've already taken care of it. Okay? Before somebody can get mad at them, they take care of it. Is a blameless person a perfect person? Absolutely not. Blameless people screw up, and before you can actually get mad at them or go confront them, they've already said, you know what, I screwed up. I'm sorry. I apologize for that. Then you can't get mad at them anymore because they've taken the blame off of themselves because they owned it. They owned it. He says, be blameless. Okay? Be blameless. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you can become blameless and pure children of God. In other words, like father, like son. Without fault in a warped, what's in it for me, and crooked generation. And then, this is so great, Paul reaches back and he grabs from the very terms that Jesus used in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, when you live this way, when you lean into this good news, this way of living because of your good Savior. When you do this, especially when you do it as a congregation, especially when you do it as a group of people or in a city or in a community or a town or a nation, he says the results are going to be exactly what Jesus says. When you do that, then you will shine in a world like the stars in the sky. Now, that doesn't mean a lot to you. You know why? Because you live in Houston. Because I walk outside on a clear 
blue sky night and you don't see many stars. See like eight. There are eight stars in a Houston sky. One time I saw 11 and that was a big night. But let me tell you, last week I, I went to our deer lease and our deer lease is out. You go to San Antonio and you go through Hundo and Uvalde and you go all the way almost to Brackettville and then you go south towards Eagles Pass. It's out in the middle of nowhere. Four o'clock in the morning, I walk outside to go to my trailer. I didn't use my flashlight. I mean, it's no electricity. I mean, there is, we have generators, but they're off. So there's no electricity. I walk all the way across the parking lot to my truck, open up my, my toolbox, go through, pull out the strap I need, pull out the knife I need. I was like, oh, there's another flashlight. Stick it in my back pocket, pull out my boots, walk back across, I go and look what's under my buggy, pull some trash out, throw it in the trash, walk back in. Never once turned on the light. You know why? Because it was so bright. It was like daylight at four o'clock in the morning. I mean, you could see every star in the sky shining so bright. And the moon was shining so bright that I looked at the guy with me and I said, have you ever seen a shadow that big at four o'clock in the morning? I mean, it was like the sun was shining on me. And he, and this is what Paul's saying. Then when you do this, when you embrace this good news, you will shine in a world like stars in the sky. Your selfishness will stand in sharp contrast to the selfishness. Your selflessness will stand in stark contrast to the selfishness characterized by the kingdoms of this world. Imagine a world like this. How good would that be? But how does good news actually behave? What does it look like when we actually personify good news? What positions us to not just believe, but be good news? I'm glad you asked. So today, to wrap up this series and to get ready as we go into Christmas season, I'm going to give you four suggestions. These aren't suggestions. I mean, these aren't, you know, mandatory. I will follow up with phone call to all of you next week to see if you're... <laughs> these are four suggestions, and I just dare you, okay? I just dare you to write these down, take a picture or something, and to try all four of these suggestions over the next two or three weeks. Just dare you. Double dog dare you. And if you're like me, you have to take a double dog dare. Okay? Suggestion number one. Apologize immediately. Okay? We're not always good at that, are we? Apologize immediately. Own it. Just own it. Just own it. It doesn't even matter if you're sure if you should own it or not. If you're sure if you should apologize or the other person should apologize. Just apologize immediately and own it. I'm going to talk to the guys just for a second. I know women do this too, but I'm going to talk to the guys. I've been a guy longer than I've been a pastor. I've never been a woman, so I'm just going to talk to the guys. Guys, what we do is we begin to justify in our mind things that have happened and we come up with excuse after excuse after excuse and we begin to dwell on it and it turns into one day two day and pretty soon sometimes we've ruined whole weekends because we're not about to apologize 
just own it. Man up. Man up and own it. What if we just begin to own it for just a minute? Don't you think that it might just change everything? So for the next couple weeks, I challenge you to just own it. Become somebody that's blameless. And to be blameless, you need to own it before they can actually blame you. So what if we owned it before we actually got blamed? Number two. So number one, apologize immediately. Number two, forgive quickly. Oh, I get the other side of the coin now. Some of you are looking at your your, uh, partner and you're like, yeah, you better get number one. Now they're looking at you going, hey, you better get number two. Okay? Listen, forgive quickly. As a Christ follower, you have zero option. Why? Because he forgave you. He forgave you. He forgave you of everything. He forgave you before you even started doing what you did to get forgiveness for. He forgave you. Number three, defer habitually. Defer habitually. What does that, I love that word. I love that word, defer. We talked about it. All of these are suggestions that came out of the scriptures that we read today. But defer, what does that mean? That means to put others first. Okay? If you watch football last week, you know the Dallas Cowboys kind of had a problem because Dak Prescott didn't actually say defer. The word defer, you have to say defer. And defer means you guys go first. You guys go first. You have to defer, okay? So let's practice deferring immediately. What does that mean? That means put others first. Yeah, but you're my guest, and, and, and you're my guest. You don't need to do that. No, I'm deferring to you. There's a story that I read about about this guy, and the camera crew was following him around. He was a wealthy man. Uh, I'm trying to think of who it was. I would say his name. Y'all would all know who it was. But he was a wealthy man, and he traveled in, in a limo everywhere he went, and he was known for opening the door of his limo driver. So he would get out quickly, run over, and open the door for his limo driver. When they get in the car, he'd go to the front door, open the door for his limo driver, the limo driver would get in and shut the door, and he would get in. And they were asking the limo driver, why does he, you know, why do you let him do that? You're actually the driver. That's your job. And he goes, he won't let me. He won't let me. He just treats me so well. He treats me so well. Why? He defers. It doesn't matter if I'm the one paying for this limo. I I defer to you. I honor you, sir. What if we deferred to everyone we could habitually? We just did it. It just second nature. We just defer, defer, put others first. Number four, give sacrificially. Why? Because God so loved the world that he gave. He gave. Because if everybody did this, that'd be good news, right? Whether it's true or not, that'd be good news. If everybody started doing just these four suggestions, that would be pretty good news, right? But listen, good news becomes bad news when I'm bad news. Think about it. Good news of the gospel to some people are bad news. Why? Because maybe you're bad news. I 
didn't want to say that, but it's in my notes. So I had to say that. Listen, when news becomes more about a what than a who, when news becomes more about a view than you, that's what happens. It's no longer good news. So one last time, I'm going to ask you this to ask yourself. Ask yourself this. Am I good news? Am I good news to people? Am I good news to people that I could? Man, I am fighting with this every day. I want to be good news. If you bump into me, you should. I want you to be the most blessed person. Because I want everybody that just runs into me, wherever they run into me by, I want them to see me as good news. I want to personify the good news of Jesus Christ. That's what he told me to do. If the life of teachings, and I want to say this last statement, if the life and teachings of Jesus doesn't strike you as good news, it may be because the church hasn't been good news to you. And if that's you, if that's your story and you've had a bad experience with the church, I say this right here, and I represent me only. I don't represent necessarily the church or anyone else. I represent me. But if you've had a bad experience with the church and the church hasn't been good news to you, I sincerely, sincerely apologize. Because I believe you are probably justified in whatever hurt you feel, whatever has been said to you, whatever excuse you may have been told you have for not wanting to be a part of the kingdom. As a pastor, I apologize to you because... It is good news. And you should have been told that it is good news. Because in the distant past, there was a world that might, power, made right. Where the pagan gods toyed with humanity and they favored the powerful over anything else. And then there was a world where the Jewish temple seemed to only favor the religious people. And then God, he sent his son into the world to replace both the powerful and the religious systems to replace both and to establish a brand new kind of relationship a brand new kind of covenant a brand new covenant between God and man and on that very first Christmas the brand new arrangement was announced this way the angel said it this way he says do not be afraid I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. And he says this, today in the town of David, a Savior is born. He is the Messiah, Christ the Lord. It's good news. And when that baby grew up to be a man and stepped onto the pages of history as Jesus of Nazareth, he simply invited you and he invited me to follow him. He says, follow me. I give you an invitation that is so good, you cannot refuse it. And it's an invitation to all people. It's an invitation to everyone that you know and to everyone you know about the good, the bad, and the ugly. 
So, is this message of Jesus true? That's a message for another day. I believe it is. We'll continue down that road. But is the message of Jesus good? There's nothing better. It's better than good. And it's good for you. And it's good for me. And most beautifully, it is good for everyone in the entire world. Father, right now, Jesus, God, we thank you so much for this good news, God. Lord, it's unbelievable, and it's, and it's really enlightening when we become awakened to the fact, God, that we're a part of that generation that you gave your life for, that you, you gave your life for. God, we're a part of the generation that you came to serve. You came and you said, I, I didn't come to be served, but I came to serve and to give my life as a ransom. God, and there's no better news. That is the good news. And you have called us to be the good news. You've called us to be the light that, that shines in the darkness. You've called us to be a light that shines brighter than the stars. God, you've called us to, to be a light so that people can see the good things that we do for people, for other people, people not like us, people that may not understand us. But you've called us to be good news. So today when we walk out of this place, Jesus, I will do my very best to be good news to every person I come in contact with. And I'll have my bad days. But God, I pray that I constantly have this reminder tattooed on my heart, tattooed in my mind, to be good news. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.